Oh, how he loves us so much. And that is really the essence of this message today as we talk about radical generosity. Listen to Jesus talking. Verse 31. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate, shall dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. So seek the kingdom of God above all else. Shout above all else. Shout first and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Shout amen. God touch our hearts and our minds in Jesus name. Amen. So, the big ideal today is really flowing out of last week's message and really flowing out of the worship this morning, which is essentially, Jesus does not invite us to simply believe in him. He invites us to follow him. That means he wants us to live like Jesus and love like Jesus and serve like Jesus. Be his student. Be his disciples. Imitate him in this world. And if we would do this, this is what Jesus promises, that we will find a quality and a fulfillment of life that we can find nowhere else. Now, here's a story that helps gets us thinking about how this works in terms of generosity. This fellow by the name of John Wesley, who an 18th century preacher who uh, is one of three people primarily responsible for giving us what we now know as the Methodist Church. He tells this story about his own life that one day he'd gone shopping and he purchased several beautiful pieces of art and he brought them home and made sure that they were placed on the wall just right. And at the end of that process, his chamber maiden came in to find out, could she, uh, was there anything else she needed, he needed her to do before leaving? And he noticed that she was wearing a thin uh, dress, no coat, and in the, in the dead frizzedness of winter. And so he reached in his pocket, recognizing that obviously she couldn't afford it. That's why she's not wearing a coat. So he reaches in the pocket in order to give her some money so she can buy a new coat and realizes he doesn't have any money left. And then it strikes him that the money that he could have given her is actually on the walls in these additional art pieces that he purchased. And in that very moment, he had a moment of deep conviction where he cried out to God and said, God, you know, am I going to be the person to whom you say, well done, thy good and faithful servant? Oh, God, is it that the clothes that would have blessed this woman, is that really up on the walls? And he went into this moment of repentance and it was a moment that literally changed his life. We'll get back to that, how that happened in just a minute. Now, Matthew is the writer of the text that we're reading. As a matter of fact, I've challenged all of you in this series to read the first 10 chapters of Matthew. 
uh, over the course of the next several weeks. And we're really focusing on chapters 5 through 7. And if you will recall, I talked to you a little bit about who Matthew uh, was last week. He was born and named Levi, which means his family was a part of the Levi tribe, which meant that he was designated to become a priest, a man of God. Something happened early in his life which caused him to leave his faith, walk away from the synagogue. And the next thing that we know about Matthew, rather than being a man of God, he is a tax collector. Everybody shout tax collector. Tax and in the Jewish tradition, not so far removed from our own tradition, tax collector is kind of the worst person you could be. I, I'm changing that, change that. No, I'm not talking about IRS people. <laughs> in the Jewish tradition... Tax people were the worst you could be. You'll recall last week it's because they would work for the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was the uh, occupying force uh, in Israel, dominating, oppressing. And the Jewish tax collectors hired out to the Roman Empire, which authorized them to take as much money as they want as long as they gave the empire its share. So these Jewish tax collectors would gouge their people. They would drive their people into deep poverty so that they could become wealthy. And that's who Matthew was. And he was in the middle of the act of, of, of being a tax collector, sitting at the tax collector table in Matthew 9, 9, when he discusses his own call by Jesus. And he says, and he was shocked that Jesus, who I'm sure he had been watching and listening to, who had been uh, hearing him preach and minister all around, had been penetrating his heart. This Jesus came to, to the tax collector's table and looked at Matthew and essentially says, I want you. I know who you are, I know what your life is, but I want you to become one of my followers. Come follow me. And that invitation literally changed Matthew's life. And really the book of Matthew reflects how Matthew's life changes. It's divided into five separate teachings of Jesus scattered over the book. And he's lifting those teachings that was most transformational in his life and that he believed would be most transformational in the lives of those who would listen. Matthew became a changed person as he followed Jesus. So, the first point that comes out of this is really, we see both John, Wesley, and Matthew, they go through a conversion. And, and, and if you're going to label the first point that really comes out of this thing, it's this. What we value, uh, or rather our values, are best reflected in what we value most. Now, it's right here in the text, and... Uh, let's just back up a little bit from where we started reading. Let's read verse 19. And here's what Jesus is saying. And, and Matthew wants us to hear Jesus saying this. And Jesus says, don't store up treasures. Everybody shout treasures. That's the word for value in this text. Here on earth where moth eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Watch this. Whatever you treasure, shout treasure. In other words, whatever you value, is, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Uh, 
Our values are reflected in what we value most. And if Matthew was here teaching, he would say that prior to his encounter with Jesus, that what he valued most was getting more money and more stuff. No matter who he had to run over to get it, no matter who he had to dog out to get it, he valued more money and more stuff, even more than he valued relationships. He was after more and more and more. Now here's the question I have to ask. Does that remind you of anybody? Uh, you know, this notion that we want more and the more we get, the more we want. And the more we get, the more we want. Does that remind you? Say to the person next to you, he could be talking about me. Actually, I am, right? It's, 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 it's part of how we're shaped in this Western tradition. I, I'm talking about all of us in many ways. That, 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 that the way we're shaped, we want more. We want bigger. We want the newest. We want the fastest. Come on, we, 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 we want the latest. That We want more and more and more. And the more we get, the more we want. I, I, can, I can prove it. I can just get two quick examples to prove it. Uh, uh, all of the, the ladies in the house, I'll just challenge most of you, when you go back home, check out your closets. <laughs> and, 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 and here's the question. How much of the stuff in your closet do you regularly wear? Whether shoes or... How much? It's packed. And guess what? Next week, you're going shopping again. <laughs> Uh, and for the guys, us, you know, we guys here, look, you know, we're bigger and bigger. I mean, we started off, it was great when we had the 20-inch TV. <laughs> then we had to get a 30-inch TV when it came out, right? Then when the 40-inch TV, we all had to get a 40-inch TV or a 45-inch TV, right? And then and now we're thinking about the 50-inch TV. And actually, some of us, we've got the 50-inch. We're now trying to figure out and negotiate how to get the new 60-inch. And we've actually run out of wall for the TV. <laughs> I mean, really, how much TV do we need to see? I'm talking, I'm, I'm one of those. Matthew says, though, that that was him until he ran into Jesus. And there was something uniquely qualitative about Jesus. Now, Matthew's reflecting on Jesus after Jesus' death and resurrection. And so, from Matthew's standpoint, his teachings make sense because Jesus has literally poured out his life so that, uh, that people can be saved and transformed. And this radical generosity, this radical expression of, oh, how he loves us. Was just transformational for Matthew. All right, the second point in this passage is worth uh, pu pulling out. Is uh, uh, listen to this, verse twenty-two, and here's the point: our blind spots matter. All right, everybody say blind spots. Okay, so here's what here's, here's what here's what Matthew writes. Jesus is teaching. 
He wants you to hear Jesus teach this. Your eye is a lamp that provides life for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. Shout blind spot. Blind spot. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Shout blind spot. Blind spot. And then he, 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 he puts it where we can get it. He links it up. Look at the next verse. So no one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. Well, what are you talking about, uh, Jesus? Then he makes it clear. You see, you cannot serve both God and what? And money. He said, you've got to decide what's going to be your highest value. What is the thing you're going to pursue the most? And, And will your highest value be pursuing more money and more stuff? Because if that's the case, you're going to have a blind spot in you. And you won't be able to serve God the way God is calling you to serve. And if your highest value is more money and more stuff, then you're going to miss the fact that part of what it means to serve God is to serve others. Because you have a, a blind spot. Now, let me uh, practice drawing a little bit. Uh, so, uh, you can, some of you can start praying right now. <laughs> this first one I can do pretty good. I'm going to do a triangle here. I'm going to try. All right. That's not bad, huh? That's good. Come on, let's celebrate that. That's awesome. <laughs> That's the one thing I can do well. All right. Okay. So, always ask this. When you ask, when you answer the, when you ask the question, how do I know that I'm growing as a follower of Jesus? How do I know whether I'm growing spiritually? It's always, it's, 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 it's three things you need to consider. One, is my trust in Jesus expanding? Am I trusting Jesus with more and more of my life? Do, 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 do trusting Jesus shape the lens through which I look at and examine life? Uh, do I trust Jesus more now than I did six months ago? That's a good question to ask. So is it expanding? Second, is my commitment deepening? Am I more committed today? than I was six months ago. Well, what does that look like? Well, maybe maybe a year ago, you only came to church Easter, Christmas, and a funeral. But now, a year later, you're coming to church at least once a month. That's a growing commitment. I'm doing some stuff that I wasn't doing before because of my connection to Jesus. And then thirdly, is my heart growing. Growing what? Is it growing more generous? Is it growing more tender? Is it growing? Is it getting bigger? To grow more generous means to give. To become more tender means it becomes more, is it becoming more sensitive? Is it, is it becoming more responsive to the things that, that moves God's heart? 
uh, Ezekiel 36 frames this in a powerful way. And God says in Ezekiel 36, essentially, this is a promise for all who would, in de- who would dare to follow him. And here's what uh, God ultimately says. He says, and I will give you a new heart and I will place a new spirit inside of you. And I'll take away the old stony, stubborn heart and I'll replace it with a new tender and responsive and Matthew was here, he would say, that started to happen to me. That happened to me. Well, three ways in which that happens. One is, one is uh, uh, it's, it's the work of the Holy Spirit that begins to work in my life as I engage the Word of God, as I, as, as, as I, as I get involved in the things of God. Secondly, it is internalizing the, really the gospel. We're internalizing what does it mean to have a Jesus who would give his total life for you and for me and begin to internalize that. And thirdly, it's actually practicing radical generosity. Those three begin to drive a little change. Now, here's where the drawing gets a little challenging. But here's here's what makes the point. I'm going to attempt to draw a heart. And I always start off okay. It's where I end up at that's problematic. That's not too bad, huh? I know. All right. So, if Matthew was here and he would say, if you asked me what's in the center of my heart before it comes to begin to follow Jesus, what's at the very center of my heart? And Matthew would say, at the very center of my heart is me. You could add my you could add myself now just think about it I'm going to talk about me you can just think about yourself just think about it you think about your dreams aren't many of us thinking about me where I hope to be how I hope to be elevated what the promotion is going to look like this is kind of when you think about being de- when you're depressed, aren't you really kind of just thinking about me? I mean, I'm, I'm depressed. I'm down because of what the world is, or whatever. But I'm at the center. What about when you're hurt and you're angry? Isn't most of the time the hurt and the anger revolving around? Me? It's what you did to me. What you said to me. It's how you wounded me. Ah, it's a my. I'm thinking about my family. My spouse. My children. My job. I'm 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 saying majority of the time. Just think with me for a little bit. Uh, Ask the person next to you. Is he making sense? Ask him. And when Matthew says that prior to an encounter with Jesus, you know, the unbelief that, that this really in often time occupies, that's, that's at the very center of his heart. Matthew would say, that was me. 
I didn't care about what my parents thought. I didn't care about how, what kind of shame I might have brought to my family. I didn't care about what the, the synagogue was hoping to get in a priest. That didn't matter to me. I was concerned about me. I'm going out. I'm going to get my more money, more stuff. That's where it's at. Me. But then, after his encounter, I'm oh, oh. We tried again. Sorry. <laughs> that one might need a little prayer. <laughs> but Matthew says that after I encounter Jesus. As I start internalizing his remarkable love for me. As I start interacting and engaging with how he puts himself out so that I might be saved. That I might be redeemed. That I might be loved. I I, I discovered that what really happened was supposed to be in the center of my heart is God. And since, here's the passage. How can you say you love God whom you've not seen? If you don't love others whom you see every day. So to love God is actually to be about the business of loving others. Those who's in need and those who are. Now, here's how Matthew, here's how we see the change in Matthew's life. Because Matthew was not about loving others. He was a tax collector. But when he walks away, he starts capturing Jesus' teaching. And he starts playing Jesus' teaching back to to the community that he's trying to shape around Jesus' values. And so, for example, in chapter 4 of Matthew, verse 17, it starts off, Matthew wants us to hear Jesus say uh, his first sermon, Jesus' first sermon, repent, turn from your sins, turn to God, for the kingdom of God is near, the kingdom of heaven is near is near. So what is this repent, turning from your sins? We're not really quite sure yet. So Matthew said, just walk with me, just walk with me. And then he shows us how Jesus is calling Peter and James and and John and, and Andrew, how he's calling them and they would walk away from their careers. They walk away from uh, in some case, their parents. And he said, look at me in verse 9. That's what I ended to do. I walked away. What, 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 what are you talking about? My, well, no, my heart's changing. My heart's changing. My, my heart's, I'm moving from me and my to, to God-centeredness. And then he shows us in chapter 5, the Beatitudes. He starts off, he says, now, as my heart changed, I start seeing people that I didn't see before. And so we hear Jesus starting to teach. He says, God blesses, verse 3, chapter 5, God bless. And the first of the list, the very first of the list, God bless those who are poor and who recognize their need. And, 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 and he, God is, Jesus is not just talking to the poor. He's saying, I'll bless you. But he's talking to the rest of us who are the John Wesleys in the room. He's saying, do you see the poor? My heart. Is it shifting? God bless those who are grieving. Oh, do you see the grieving? God bless uh, 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 the humble. Uh, uh, are you full of yourself or empty of yourself? Uh, God bless those who give mercy. Don't you see the heart going? All of those are hard. 
But he goes back with the first of the list is the poor. And then in verse 42, Matthew's writing. Matthew's talking about the things that has mattered the most. Look, this is a tax collector writing, y'all. And then he says, if it, don't turn away from people who come to you in need and, and who, who borrow. That's verse 42. Man, this is a different Matthew. And in chapter 6, the first uh, several verses in chapter 6, he lays out, here's three things that you need to do in order to, to practice following Jesus. And the very top of the list is, is giving to the needy. Then prayer, then fasting. And he says, by the way, when you give to the needy, verse 3, he says, don't make a trumpet of it. Don't, so that everybody says, look at me, I'm giving to the needy. <laughs> Just do it quietly. And God who sees will bless. And then when we get to this passage here, he lays out a half a chapter, the end of chapter 6, almost a half a chapter is all dedicated to not being so overly focused on your possession, overly focused on your needs. He says, look, God knows what your needs are. So if you will get active in pursuing the kingdom work, kingdom business, God will get active in your life, in your business. In other words, he knows what your needs are. Be a part of God blessing others, and God will bless you. The point of generosity. And then when he gets to verse 19, he talks about the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and says, what do I need to do? This is Matthew writing. What do I need to do in order to, to, have, to go to heaven and to inter, and inherit eternal life? And he says, I've kept all the commandments. And Jesus says, okay, you really want to be perfect? He said, you really want to? He said, go sell all you have. Give to the poor. And follow me. And here Matthew's making a powerful point. The guy walks away very sad because he couldn't do that. And Matthew's making a point. Matthew's comparing himself to the rich uh, young ruler, I believe. And what Matthew is saying was, I was that guy. I thought I could get fulfillment from, 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 uh, from uh, in a sense, hoarding, gathering more and more money and more and more things. But I learned when I started following Jesus that that really... The way that I got fulfilled, real meaning, was when I started to empty my life to bless others. You know, what's unique about John Wesley is clearly there was a transition in his heart. Now, John Wesley was a preacher, and he, was, he had a conversion moment. In other words, we, all, we should just keep growing what was happening, interesting, first of all, what's unique about the story about John Wesley is he saw the woman. Now, that should be unique, but special. Why? Because she worked for him. She worked for him every day. She didn't just like wake up that morning and become poor. She was in and out caring for his property every day, even though he saw he didn't really see her until that day. Who's in your life that you don't see? You don't see their needs. You don't see how you can be a blessing to them. John, the first thing that happened, we know his heart shifted, is he actually saw her. He saw her poverty. He saw her need. Secondly, he cared. He reached in his pocket. He's getting ready to give. He actually cared. Now, some of us actually see people who are in need, but because we're locked into our blinds, we're locked into us, we just don't care. 
But those who follow a Jesus who died so that you might have life. Those who follow one who the scripture declared, Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave. Those of us who follow the one who 1 Corinthians 8, 9 says that God's generous grace is demonstrated in Jesus Christ in this way, that he became poor for us, that through him we might become rich. Those of us who really get that, we start seeing and caring. And then that led to repentance. And now we understand what Jesus was talking about when he said earlier on, repent. What he was saying is, repent of a lifestyle that evolves around, revolves around my, me, and myself. And everything that we call sin comes out of this kind of heart. Think about me, myself. He says, turn towards God. Towards having a God heart. That's what he's meaning in that. Then the very last thing that Matthew writes about, so, so John uh, Wesley sees, he cares, and then he repents. He says, oh God, I've missed it. Now at that moment, he wasn't really saying there's anything wrong with buying art. That wasn't the point. The point was, was the, what was he doing with the excess, right? He had all his fun and he's just going out buying more and more just when he could have used the excess to take care of that poor woman. So John Wesley asked himself a question. He says to himself, how much is enough? Ask somebody sitting close to you, how much is enough for you? That's a question. John Russ, he looked at his life. That's something that families ought to ask. How much is enough? Because you see, when our family rise and when our finances rise, we spend more. And if we get a raise, we spend more. Somebody give you a financial gift, we spend that. Because we want more, we want more, we want more. Well, how much is enough? I mean, come on, you got a closet full of clothes you're not wearing. Come on, you might have passed that point. Well, I'm talking to followers of Jesus now. And so what John Wesley concluded, he says, what do I need to live on and be happy? And in modern day terms, the figure he decided on was $20,000 if translated into modern day. So what he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to live on $20,000. Everything else above that, I'm going to give to the needy, to the poor. I'm going to invest it in God's kingdom. By the time he died, each year his income kept going up. He would give, it just kept going up. His give. By the time he died, he was earning 160, translating today's dollars, $160,000 a year. That means he was living on $20,000 and giving away $140,000 a year. Investing in God's kingdom. Can somebody say radical? Radical. All right. So here's where I want to end. So first of all, I want to challenge you. All the book, whole Matthew is about, the whole book of Matthew is about your heart. So it says focusing on your heart. So the first thing I challenge you to do, leave here praying, God, give me your heart. 
Because that's part of what I'm talking about happens spiritually. And as you pray, you open yourself up and God is able to work supernaturally. But part of what I'm talking about happens by way of practice. And so here's what I'm going to suggest. I'm going to suggest you, you, you leave it with a different way of thinking about your money. Now, here's the text. Here's how we end it. The text says, uh, here, listen, here's what Jesus concludes. He says, verse 25, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink, enough clothes to wear. He says, look, look how God take care of the birds. And then verse 28, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies. And he gives an example about that. Verse 31, so don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat or drink or wear. These things dominate, shall dominate the thoughts of the unbelievers. But your heavenly father, he's talking to believers, already know what your needs are. So seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. Put that above all else. He's talking about giving here. Now, what he's saying is he's not saying be responsible. He said, look, figure out what you need. Yeah, but understand this. God already knows what you need. And if you will invest in God's work, God will be active in your finances. Now, the question is, do you trust him enough? All right, here's the test. Let me tell you a new way that I want to suggest you live. I want to suggest when you get your next check, the first thing you do is you write a check, is you, you give it, you give some money, you figure out in advance, what percentage am I going to give away for the rest of the year from every check? What percentage am I going to give away? Uh, everybody shout percentage. This is the point. You got to figure out what the percentage is. And you say, well, what should be there? Well, the New Testament doesn't give us percentage. The Old Testament says 10% tithe. Uh, so I would suggest a 10%. But if that's too much for you, start somewhere. You just pick a percentage, 3%, 5%, pick a percentage. Do the math. But each year, you're going to move that percentage. Then, so the first thing you're going to do is invest in God's kingdom work. If you're part of a church, you invest in the church. If you're not a part of the church, find some charities like we were talking about and give to them. All right? Secondly, you're not going to invest in your future. So you're going to save. If I say save, pick a percentage. Am I going to say 3%? 5 What am I going to say? Figure it out. It's just important that you start somewhere. And then, of course, you're going to pay your taxes. Tell the person next to you, please pay your taxes. Tell them that. Right. Now, the fact of the matter is, uh, uh, taxes are taken out. We generally pay taxes, but... The more I give and the more, if I do this right, I have, usually have less taxes to pay. All right, then if I shout debt, debt, you need to decide how much debt you have and how long it's going to be before you retire. I'm going to do it in a year. I'm going to do it in two years. I'm going to do it in six months. I'm going to do it in three years, whatever. Figure out a finish line and start planning towards that. And then you start giving. So... So you, you, you give to God's kingdom first, you save for your future second, pay the government, take care of your debt, then you spend what's left. Now, you don't even have to say, I know exactly what you're thinking. I can read your mind. Here's what you're thinking. If I do that, I don't have nothing left. That is why the world, most folks, go the other way. We spend first. We go to Sears. 
Come on now, Macy's. Come on, pay a little bit on debt. Got to pay the taxes. Try to save a little bit. By the way, if I have anything left, that means you're giving God your what? Shout leftovers. You're giving to the poor, to the needy, your leftovers. How would it be, wouldn't it be extraordinary to give to the poor, to the needy, to give to the work of God, not your leftovers, but out of your surplus? Well, somebody said, well, if I try this, Pastor, that's going to hurt a whole lot. Let me let you in on a little secret. You're already hurting a whole lot. So if you have to hurt, hurt moving towards victory. So I want to challenge you, try this plan for three months. For three months. Do this, try it for three months, because here's what I'm believing. If you actually do this, you don't even have to be flawless. But if you're just really faithful at this, God's going to shock you. You take care of his business, he'll take care of your business. It's a matter of trust. Give God a hand, praise. Let's end here. So, before we leave the day, so this is practicing God's priorities, this is practicing his radical generosity over the next three months. But I'm going to ask us to practice together some generosity today. So we've identified those five organizations that you heard earlier, and together we're going to raise money and give to them. No strings attached. So you've got the Second Harvest Food Bank program. It's in Santa Clara. It feeds 300,000 people annually. You've got the Alameda County uh, Food Bank. Uh, it feeds, it, it, it supports 240 separate nonprofit entities that feeds... 250,000 people. People who are hungry. People who are living in garages. Living in parks. You've got Team Challenge. It's a Christian organization that is located in Santa Clara and Oakland and San Francisco and Philadelphia and Portland. They take care of people coming out of prison. They help get job training skills for them. They minister to the homeless. They take care of the hungry. And they, they impact about a half a million people. We're struggling. And I want you to think about that. These people, we're gonna, they're going to become visible to us now. And the first thing I'm going to ask you to do is, you know, on your way out uh, this week, we're going to give $39.95. That's the minimum that we're going to give for those of us who can afford it. That means I'm going to give $39.95, and Rhonda, my wife, is going to give $39.95, every individual. My daughter, she's going to get all of the corns and chains that's around on our dresser drawers because we've asked our CYM students to gather all the chains. Last year, they gathered over $1,000. For some of us, we're going to give even more because uh, Partners Health is an amazing organization in Haiti. It's located in two major parts of Haiti. It has 12 clinics. It's training doctors and nurses and driving rehabilitation in a country that has been ravaged by both earthquake and recently hurricane. So my family, we're going to give much more than $39.95. Some of you, you can't afford $39.95, so just give what you can give. You can give 10 Give that. But whatever you do, and we want you to do it today or this week, whatever you do, there's a table in the back on your way out. But whatever you give, we're going to gather it all together. Everybody say, all together. And we're going to give it all away.
We're not keeping one dime here because that's investing in kingdom work. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. Give God a hand praise. Think of the light. Think of the light that you're going to be a part of. So as uh, musicians take their place, I'm going to let you look at the re response card. And I'm going to simply challenge you. You look at the next steps. There are a number there for you to think about, pray about. But the biggest one I want you to think about is response to the message. And if you're willing to at least take this step to join with us in giving, radically giving, just simply write, I will practice radical generosity. God bless you.